Uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Fred. If you don't know me, I think most of you do. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the Bible this morning, and in fact, I'm going to be reading Psalm number 6. But before I do, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So Psalm 6, if you have your Bibles there, it's on page 538. Psalm 6, which was a psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friend. Uh, let's pray again. Uh, Father God, help us to trust that your word is for us in all seasons of life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Gordon, an assistant minister here. We're starting a new series in the book of Psalms. It's often called the Songbook of the Bible. Uh, we have, it's fascinating, we have in the Bible this collection of songs, which we call Psalms. Unfortunately, we don't have the actual music uh, to these songs, we, so we don't really know how they sounded musically. We just have their words, their lyrics. And so they're poems. These Psalms are poems. And uh, you'll find poetry in almost every culture of our world. You know, I came across this quote. Uh, it says, poetry is nearer to vital truth than history. Uh, it's from Plato, the great, you know, famous Greek philosopher. And what he's saying is that poems and songs, they, they speak to our lives, don't they? They reflect our life experiences. You know, they're like an open window into the human soul. It's quite fascinating. The biggest book of the Bible is a book of poems. You know, Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. Now, the Old Testament or the Hebrew part of the Bible, our Bibles, is actually split into three sections. Um, you have what's called the law, uh, the first five books of Moses. Don't worry if you can't see the little words at the back there, but uh, the first, this is the first section is called the law. Uh, and then you have what's called the prophets. And these two sections, the law and the prophets, they actually form a big story, like a grand narrative about how God deals with the world, and in particular with Israel. Uh, so 
there's a story through uh, the law and the prophets. But when we get to the third section of the Old Testament, which is called the writings, it's almost as if we press pause on this story. Uh, sometimes this section is just called the Psalms because the Psalms you know, takes up so much of this section called the writings. And so these Psalms, they actually help us to pause and to reflect on God and what it means to live in relationship with Him. Um, so it's, they help us to reflect on God and to pause. But, you know, I don't want us, as we come to Psalms, this book of poetry, I don't want us to think like we're going back to school, you know. I don't want to give you flashbacks of the classroom. Um, imagine instead that as we open this book of Psalms, uh, imagine that we're entering a grand auditorium, a magnificent building, beautifully designed, incredible architecture. And imagine as we walk inside, we hear echoes of voices, uh, people singing, singing to God. And these voices, they're all in harmony, and yet each voice is distinct. And this group of singers, it's a diverse group. There are prophets, there are kings, there are shepherds, there are ordinary folk, priests. Some of them are named, some of them aren't. Some are renowned, some are anonymous. Some are shouting in joyful praise, and some are sitting quietly in thoughtful prayer. And some even are lying on the floor, you know, curled up in a ball and weeping. And the song that Fred just read out to us today, uh, Psalm 6, is from someone in that last position, all curled up in a ball and crying. As we look closer, it's actually the voice of God's anointed king. It's the voice of David. And so let's turn our attention from understanding, you know, what the Psalms are about to actually the Psalm that we're looking at today, to Psalm Six, and we see in the title that it's actually a psalm of David. It's a song that's composed by David. And it's a song of tears. So just look in the middle of the psalm at verse 6. David says this. Uh, he says, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Now what's going on here? You know, why is he like this? Uh, we don't really know. We're not really told. But we do see that in the first five verses, David directs his cries to God. In these first five verses, there's five mentions. You know, he calls on God's name five times. His pleas are to the Lord. Uh, so verse 1, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. You know, whatever he's going through, it feels as if, you know, God's anger is poured out on him. You know, was this actually the case, though? You know, has David sinned, and has God told him that you know, he was disciplining him for it? Uh, again, we don't know. You know. Perhaps it just feels as if this was God's anger on him. You know, either way, we're seeing, we're hearing that David's crying to God, and he continues into verse 2. Uh, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. David's pleading for God's mercy, for God's healing. You know, was this a physical illness? My bones are in agony, he says. Or was it a deeper kind of distress, you know, in his inner self? My soul, he says, is in deep anguish. Of course, our bodies and our souls, they're so intimately connected, you know, when you're sick, for example, then yes, that can sometimes even affect you inside. But what about the other way, you know? 
Is it true the other way too? You know, is David so distressed inside at the level of his soul? Is he in so much mental, emotional, psychological, even spiritual distress that it's actually hurting his whole body? I think it's more like this. You know, we're so complex in how we're created. Our bodies and our souls, they're so woven together. And as we peel back the layers into this psalm, David's revealing that actually his soul is in deep distress in verse 3, deep anguish, and it's hurting his whole body. He even feels like he's on the brink of death, verse 5. And so he cries out to God, how long, Lord, how long? You know, you might have cried this before, you know, I can't take this anymore, Lord. Can't take it anymore. In verse 4, we have a triple plea. Turn, Lord, deliver me, save me. See, for David, God can turn things around. He knows that God can save him. And he knows that it's because of who God is. Notice how he appeals to God's character. Save me because of your unfailing love. Uh, This word that's translated for us, unfailing love, it actually appears over 100 times in the book of Psalms. And if you have other translations, you'll notice that sometimes it translated steadfast love or kindness or faithfulness. God is a God of unfailing love, of steadfast love, of kindness, of faithfulness. And David knows that. And even though he's going through immense pain, even though it even feels like God is himself angry at him, he still knows that God is a God of unfailing love. We see in this psalm just how close David is to God. Uh, If you read also the books of 1 and 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, we know that God had a special relationship with David too. He chose him to be his anointed king. But listen here to how David wrestles and even bargains with God. That's the kind of relationship he has with him. In verse 5, he's kind of saying, Lord, if you let me die, how will I praise you? I can't praise you if I'm dead. He's like bargaining with God. He's so bold. I think it also shows just how much David loves praising God. You know, even in his distress, that's what he's thinking about. That's what he's longing for. Even in his pain, David knows that God is in control, that God can turn around his situation. And yet we see that he's not here blaming God. You know, he knows that God's not the one responsible directly for his sin or the sin of others. And even in this pain, he knows that God is a God of unfailing love. God still loves him. And so his cry is, how long, Lord, how long? You know, what's your timing on this, Lord? See, the question isn't whether God is good for David. It's not whether he's powerful to save. It's a question of his timing. It's a question of his timing. And so verses 6 and 7, I'm worn out from my groaning. He pours his heart out to God. All night long I, pour, I flood my bed with weeping, drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Have you ever cried so much that your eyes hurt? Have you ever needed to change the bedsheets because of your own tears? By the end of verse 7, we're told you know, what's actually been causing this all along. It's David's foes, his enemies. And again, if you read 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll read that David's life was always on the run from his enemies. You know, this guy had enemies. He had lots of enemies from not just within Israel, but from the countries outside of Israel, even from his own family. And I find it really surprising, though, that it's taken so long in this psalm for David to mention these enemies, these people who are actually responsible for his pain. Why does he wait till verse 7 before he mentions them? 
Again, I think it highlights how God is the first one that David runs to. Now, even though his pain was directly caused by others, he runs to God first. It's like, you know, he picks up the phone and the first person he calls is God. And his strength, David's strength, comes from knowing that God listens to him, that he hears his cries. So verse 8, he says, Away from me, all you do evil. He can say that. He can, he can tell his enemies to go away, to leave him. Maybe that's mentally as well as physically. Why can he do that? For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayers. It's like a triple rallying cry, maybe to himself. My Lord listens to me. My Lord cares for me. My Lord accepts me. I think sometimes we can take for granted just how remarkable this is that God listens to us. To push that phone line analogy further, God's hotline, if you will, God's hotline is 24-7. He's always listening. And it's not like a human counsel on the other side. Of course, they're well trained to listen, to support, and to care. And of course, huge blessing human counselors are. But to have God, the Almighty, listening to you, to have the God of unfailing love, of steadfast love, listening to you, hearing your cries, you know, what a rock, what a fortress that must have been for David. To know that this God is listening to his cries. This God is caring for him as he weeps. You know, like a child, you know, running and crying in the arms of his strong but gentle father. And so David's song, he ends with a triumphant hope in verse 10. He says, All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. David's certain here that his situation will be overturned. He's confident that this, the tables will turn for him. Now, how does David know this? Did God tell him that this will happen? Again, we don't know. But the point is, it's just a matter of timing. He knows it will happen. And so we see that David starts his song crying to God, pleading to him, and he ends it in a moment of trust, trust in his Lord, trust in God's promise to overturn his anguish into some sort of vindication, into victory over those who have caused uh, his agony, who have done evil to him. Now, I don't know what you're thinking as you read that last verse in particular. You know, I don't know what you might be going through right now in your life, but I can imagine some of you thinking, you know, I don't really have any enemies. You know, how does this apply to me? I can also imagine that some of you might be in a similar situation like David's. You know, there are people who have hurt you, who have done evil to you. And so I can imagine that those verses, that verse, verse 10, particularly those words stand out. You might even want to jump on them right now. Now, this psalm has been kept for us. And if you're following the sermon outline, you'll see that that's actually point three. And this is important uh, because we can't actually jump straight to us. Uh, we can't apply these words straight to us or we might be in danger of misreading God's word here. So if someone stole your lunch last week, verse 10 is not a promise that something will happen to them this week. Because this psalm... This song of tears is actually a song first sung by Jesus before it's a song that's been kept for us. And so that's our second point. In, uh, in Luke, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he has this wonderful teaching moment with his disciples. Uh, so Luke uh, 24 verses 44 to 45. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, this is what I told you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. 
Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. The whole Old Testament, including Psalm 6, is actually all about Jesus. So whenever we read the Old Testament, we have to see first how it talks about Jesus you know, before we see how it speaks to us. And particularly the Psalms that are written by David. David, uh, his great descendant, was Jesus. The great king in David's line was Jesus. So Psalm 6, which is written by David, as we saw, is actually fulfilled ultimately. It's embodied in Jesus. And so that's our question. You know, how does Jesus sing this song of tears? How do these words in Psalm 6 paint a picture for, of Jesus? Well, as our Pippi alluded to, Jesus was not himself foreign to tears. Uh, Jesus was a man of sorrows. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, it says, Jesus wept. That's it, Jesus wept. The Son of God wept. It's profound. But perhaps the most striking image of the man of sorrows is the moment just before his arrest, just before his trial and crucifixion. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus stares into the face of the cross, he cries this, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And just as his enemies were about to encircle him, uh, Luke records this. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. For Jesus, it was his whole person in anguish. Both his body and his soul was in distress, just like David, as he wrestles in prayer to God, in his famous plea to God, take this cup of wrath away from me, he pleads to his father. And though his father heard his cries, he chose not to withdraw this cup of wrath. You see, unlike David, Jesus was going to take all of God's wrath and anger on himself. Unlike David, there was no question about his sin. Jesus was sinless. He was sinless. But he willingly submitted to his Father's will. He willingly took on our sins, on my, my sin, your sin, upon himself. And he willingly trusted, he willingly trusted in God's timing for his vindication, when God would overturn his agony into his victory. And God did do that. On the third day, God raised Jesus back to life from the dead as the victorious king, as the one who defeated our enemies, defeated sin, defeated death, defeated the devil. You see, it's only through the work of Christ, it's only through Jesus that we can sing this song of tears as our own, as children of God, redeemed by his son, Jesus. And so, as we think now about how Psalm 6 can be our song, I want to offer some final reflections. You know, through Jesus, we are God's children, and yet we still do experience deep personal pain and anguish in this world. You know, this suffering that we read in Psalm 6 that we heard is not at all foreign to our own experience as we live as God's people in our broken world. And so the first reflection I want to give is that pain and suffering is always complex. And sometimes it's just absurd. There's never a simple explanation. Sometimes our pain is caused by others, by their evil. Sometimes it's caused by our own sin. And sometimes it's a bit of both. So, you know, I remember a time I felt deeply hurt by a close friend. You know, he'd, he did something behind my back and I was hurt, I was upset. But it was much more complex than that, you know. You see, he did that, I think, because I had been slowly excluding him, maybe, from things from myself. 
and unlovingly distancing him, you know, himself, uh, me from him. You know, so I had been unloving first. And maybe you know, he reacted to that. And even as he tried to restore the relationship, you know, I think my pride and selfishness got in the way. I didn't necessarily welcome his attempts. And so my point is that it's complex, isn't it? Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's others. Sometimes we can be hurt even when no one sinned. Uh, there are psalms in the book of Psalms, lament songs, other lament songs which just ask God why. You know, why is there pain when it seems like nobody did anything wrong? And often we don't get, you know, a simple or satisfying answer from God. Uh, that's the story of Job in the Bible. In short, there's no simple answer to suffering. It's complex. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense. It's absurd. And yet this psalm, it teaches us that God is still in control. God's still sovereign. And God is still good. See, David still trusts that God is all-powerful, that God's in control, even if his situation doesn't change. He still trusts in God's goodness too. God is still a God of unfailing love to him, even though he's in so much distress. See, for David and for also Jesus, it wasn't about whether God could help him, nor was it about whether God wanted to help him. It was about when. It was about God's timing. And sometimes that's all we're left with when we suffer. You know, we cling on to God's sovereignty. We know that he's still in control, that he's still powerful to help us. And we cling on to his goodness, that he still loves us. We cling on to his love for us. We cling on to both these things in faith, even though we can't necessarily see a clear way out. And we do that. Because we have a God who doesn't just sit on the sidelines, you know, shouting at us, shouting at us to try harder, to push through the pain barrier. We have a God who actually entered into our pain and anguish himself. See, Jesus didn't just suffer with us. He suffered for us. Jesus didn't just enter into our world of pain and suffering. He took on the full wrath of God on himself in our place for us. And because of that, friends, victory is secured. Because of that, because of Jesus, we can have 100% certainty that things will be ultimately overturned for us. God may you know, still change our circumstances here now, but he definitely will when he brings about the new heavens and the new earth. So from Revelation, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Well, the old order of things has passed away. That's our hope, friends. That's what's promised for us. But God has also equipped us as we wait for that. And I think our understanding of the Holy Spirit is really important here. God's promise of His Spirit to live with His, with his people is so comforting. See, God, by His Spirit, is always with us. He lives in us. We never walk through the valley of the shadow of death on our own. We're never alone in our pain and suffering. Because of God's Spirit, we can cast our anxieties on Him and know that He cares for us. But perhaps an underrated reflection on Psalm 8 to finish is that it gives us not just permission to cry out to God, but also the words. See, by His Spirit, God has kept these words for us, words that we can use to cry out to Him when we, when we hurt. I think too often we might short-circuit our time of lament. You know, for people like myself, we just want to fix things. We just want to find a solution. Sometimes you just need time and space to cry. 
to cry and feel the comfort of a God who listens to our cries, who hears us weep, who accepts our prayers. There's no knockdown argument for suffering in the Bible. But God always gives us what we need to not just sit in it, but also to move. And to move alongside ourselves and also to move alongside others through the sadness, through the pain, and to move towards trusting in God, hoping in Him, even as we suffer. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we live in a world where we hurt. We hurt ourselves, we hurt others. Sometimes the hurt can be so deep, so unbearable, that it even feels like your anger is on us. Lord, please remind us not just of your goodness, but of your love to us, that you are also in control, that you have sent your Son and he has taken all your wrath for our sin, that we don't need to fear your judgment. Remind us that you're always with us by your Spirit. Thank you that you hear our cries, that you care for us. And Lord, I pray for those who are amongst us who are suffering. Please comfort them, Lord, by your Spirit, and help us to be a church family that bears each other's burdens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.